Welcome to Indie Insider, the weekly show where we chat with video game industry professionals about their projects, their stories, their advice to others, and, of course, their thoughts on everything indie. I'm your host, Logan Schultz, and today I have the pleasure of bringing you the first Indie Insider discussion panel. Nintendo has finally presented their new hardware, the Switch, to the world. So I've gathered a group of professionals to break down the news, including Mark Soderwall of Indie Game University, Sarah Dukakos of Archiact, and Raghav Mather of Blackshell Media. Before we get to the panel, however, a couple of quick notes. This show is presented by Blackshell Media, a publishing and marketing firm working to help indie developers reach their goals and new audiences. The company also strives to offer unique, inspiring, and even educational services for developers, publishers, and gamers alike, which is why we get to bring this show to you. Speaking of which, be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast services across the internet. And please, leave a review. If you'd like to be a part of the show and share your thoughts, questions, or even request a professional to bring on the podcast, send me an email at logan at blackshellmedia.com. You can also find the most up-to-date news on the Indie Insider Podcast on Twitter by following at Logan A. Schultz. That's L-O-G-A-N-A-S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. Finally, special thanks to Mark, Sarah, and Ragha for joining us on this special discussion panel, as well as Benjamin Tiso over at bensound.com for allowing us to use his song, Going Higher, in the show. And now, the Indie Insider Nintendo Switch discussion panel. Welcome to Indie Insider, a very special episode of Indie Insider. Today, I have three special guests with me, and we are talking all about the Nintendo Switch. We are recording this the day after uh, the Nintendo Switch presentation uh, from Tokyo that occurred. Um, And I have special guests from previous episodes of the show joining me. Uh, My first guest with me is Mark Soderwall, the founder of Indie Games University. Mark, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Mark, if people happen to miss your episode, tell them just a little bit about who you are, what you do. Uh, well, who I am is a video game uh, developer and designer, as well as a, I guess, a, a game development coach of sorts. I have my own uh, indie game university, uh, basically leading people that uh, are either wanting to create games or have created games through a lot of the uh, the startup process, the methodologies, uh, the things to look out for, uh, answering their why, why the, why the heck they want to make a game in the first place, and, and understanding their market and their target, as well as uh, kind of breaking down uh, what are the core features of their games and mechanics, and just basically how to go about realizing that um, professionally from 43 games that I've published and have been working in the industry for about 20 years, LucasArts and Atari and EA, so I just uh, have created this vehicle in order to just give back to the game developer, the creative, the indie, to just see them flourish and walk into who they are and deliver something amazing to a world waiting. So that's me in a nutshell. And as we talk about indie video games as it ties into the Nintendo Switch, the new hardware from, of course, Nintendo, uh, you seem like a guy that's going to be able to... uh, at least tell us a little bit about what you think. You have uh, your hands in a lot of aspects and areas of the industry. So I'm excited to talk to you. Of course, if you want to hear more from Mark Soderwall, you can go back and listen to episode number 13 of the Indie Insider, where he does talk about his idea of uh, discovering your why as a developer uh, amongst many other things, including his own uh, very fascinating career story. So Mark, I'm happy you're here. Thank you for joining us. Uh, my next guest is Sarah Dukako. Sarah You and Andy Bacon uh, came on the show for episode number seven of the Indie Insider to talk about your work with Archiact and your work in the VR space, uh, and specifically your work with Waddle Home, which had been a launch game for PSVR uh, and was also out on the HTC Vive. Sarah, how are you today? I am doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. Absolutely. Sarah, uh, I'm sorry I just gave away a bunch of your resume uh, talking about (laughs) our previous episode, but tell us a little bit about who you are. Um, you know, what excites you and, and why you're here? 
Uh, all right, I am a game designer and producer for Archiact right now, which has been really fun, kind of like uh, like trying to tame the wilderness that is VR. So that's kind of a fun challenge as a designer that I've really been enjoying. Uh, but before I was at Archiact, I was with Nickelodeon, uh, working on just a variety of IP for them, Turtles, uh, SpongeBob, Legend of Korra. That was my favorite one to work on for sure. And then um, before that, Excellent. I worked over at Cartoon Network and helped them bring their first Adventure Time game to consoles, which was really fun. So I'm like, <laughs> I get to do all of this cool nerdy stuff, and I totally love doing it. And uh, like, I've spent a lot of time in the kids' space, and it's like a really cool kind of uh, place to be making games because of how just open and like excited that audience is to just try any kind of game. And I feel like it's the same thing for VR as well. So a lot of overlap there for sure. Sarah, you had me at turtles. <laughs> oh man, the turtle! You know how much time I spent getting April and Karai in those games because I love those girls. Those are those ladies are amazing. They're they're very. It was very fun making stuff for that IP though. It was really good. Awesome. <laughs> well, that last person you just heard is our final guest on the show, who has never been on the Indie Insider podcast. Sorry, you've never been on the Indie Insider podcast. Raghav Mather, you are one of the founders of Black Shell Media, the publishing and marketing firm that actually presents the Indie Insider podcast. Raghav, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for finally having me on. I figure, uh, you know, if I'm funding the damn thing, I might as well be on an episode. <laughs> might as well. Well, tell us just a little bit about you. Obviously, uh, your work with Black Shell Media, but you've been floating around the industry for quite a while now. Yeah, for the past couple of years, I started work uh, when Blackshell Media was just Blackshell Games. We were making our first title, Sanctuary RPG, the fully ASCII-based uh, RPG. And then we went on to make Overture, the 2D twin-stick uh, action-adventure game. Eventually, you know, we got out of the development space and got more into publishing. So right now we're publishing over 60 titles across Steam, Xbox, uh, mobile, hopefully PlayStation soon, and hopefully the Switch even sooner. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very excited to have such a uh, varied group of people here. So we have uh, Mark kind of bringing this uh, coaching aspect to it. We have Raghav bringing this publisher aspect to it. And, of course, Sarah um, working a, a bit on the ground floor with cutting-edge technology and uh, with kid games and, obviously, Nintendo, known for being so family-friendly. So I'm very excited. Thank you all so much for being on the show. Let's start breaking down some of the news from yesterday's presentation. Uh, of course, Probably the the big first piece of news they threw out there was that it will release it will release March third uh, with a price tag of two hundred ninety nine dollars and ninety nine cents uh, United States dollars. Um, I'm not entirely sure how that tracks across the different regions, but um, that's our price point on that. What do you guys think? Is is that going to be a good price for consumers to to jump in on? I think given that it's a brand new technology kind of combining the handheld and the um, console experience, it's not bad at all. I know uh, I was on Twitter last night live-tweeting the whole thing and talking to some people who were, um, last night, you know, being the announcement night, uh, we're recording this a couple of days before it's going to air, but uh, I was talking to a couple of people who said they were a little surprised by the price point. They were expecting it to be at the 249 uh, price point or maybe a little lower. And I think one of the reasons that Nintendo feels they have a little more leeway, if I, if I may use that word, on the price is because they're going to be... The idea behind the Switch and the whole concept is that you don't have to buy both, you know, for example, a 3DS, XL, and a Wii U. You can just buy the Switch and have it be your home console as well as your portable console. Um, although, you know, they said the battery life uh, for the games is going to last between two and six hours, so I'm not sure how <laughs> effective the portable aspect is going to be. But I think that's where they're kind of coming from in terms of, you know, raising the price a little more than what people were expecting. You talked about the portability of it and the battery life. Um... I'm curious, Mark, as you look at these some of these factors, the battery life, um, the portability, what do you think that means for indie game developers that are going to be out there and trying to design for this? Is building a lower quality game to optimize battery life going to be a priority? Well, I mean, I think the the great thing is 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 let's just let's just break it down to the core of just Nintendo as a brand and what it has delivered to the world. And it the thing I love about Nintendo is it's unapologetic in its stance by the stylization of the types of games that go onto that platform. Very stylized, not not heavily uh, immersive by way of visual detail. You know, uh, they're not trying to compete with Microsoft and Sony and those consoles. Mm -hmm. um, and so the graphics are more suggestive. Uh, they're more organic, uh, stylized, very squash and stretch. Obviously, the Zeldas and, and the Mario's and the kart games. And so, you know, 
it doesn't necessarily require as much processing power, I guess you might say, because they're not using, you know, heavy effects, um, you know, trilinear filterings and you know what have you. So, and the great thing is, is that because that audience is used to and wants and expects games that have that type of simplicity, loud colors, very uh, high, you know, high um, contrasting types of details, it affords a lot of developers to not, again, have to kind of get buried in the weeds of making the wetness of eyes and pores of skin that require a lot of graphic intensive, uh, you know, hardware, even though it's got an NVIDIA inside uh, the console, I believe. Um, so I, I think that indies, they won't necessarily have to worry too much about, again, uh, plugging in a lot of detail in a sense of their games. They'll be able to concentrate on what a game is, and a game is supposed to be fun. It's immersive. Uh, it's got great mechanics, great controls, great fluidity. Um, and so, you know, that doesn't necessarily take a huge drain on battery life, but, you know, allows mm-hmm. experience to continue. So that was a long answer for a very short question. <laughs> it was thoughtful, though. It was good. That was a good answer. Good. Awesome. <laughs> One thing, can I, if you, if, can I just jump in real quick? I just want to ask Mark one thing. You mentioned that, you know, the games aren't going to be hugely graphically intensive and they're going to focus more on gameplay qualities to provide that immersion. One thing that uh, Nintendo's been harping on a lot, both with the new Zelda title and I think was hinted at with the Mario, uh, Super Mario Odyssey that they announced last night, was the whole open world aspect of it and having this really big, expansive environment for people to explore and roam freely. Do you think that, you know, despite the fact that the graphics might be slightly less than what one, what might, one might expect, excuse me, from like a Microsoft or Sony title, um, do you think the open world aspect of it is going to be a big drain programming or uh, battery life wise uh i don't know it really just depends on on how they go about actually creating their open world um Mm -hmm. when we're working on a lot of the star wars titles while we were able to realize a lot of open worlds uh there's two aspects to it there's uh there's systems that you can put in place that's called portaling where basically uh while certain areas of the background or the world is being shown uh other areas are dropped from memory and then they they load in different portal types of settings or you can use fog or some other type of occluding types of elements so that you don't have to you know have tons of draw calls rendering out the whole environment especially those areas that aren't seen which is a lion's mm-hmm. share um, and then from a design aspect uh, one of the things that we realized as well on uh, maybe a couple of the PSP titles back in the day is the fact that we developed tech that was allowing us to be able to have a huge expansive world but the problem is, is it was a real drain and a fatigue on the player because mm-hmm. they were always having to run to the fun I mean, just because you can doesn't mean you should, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so it's like if you're not designing in elements that are going to give quick return, uh, quick immersion uh, and intensive gameplay, uh, you know, because a lot of the vehicles that we populated in the, in the environment, like the snow speeders and land speeders and Jedi starfighters, we found that players were actually utilizing those vehicles as taxis just to mm-hmm. just to get to an area that was fun instead of jogging across this huge ass map um mm-hmm. to get to where they needed to go so um it, it really is a give and take one of those kind of scenarios where just because you can doesn't necessarily mean you should so i'm really curious to see how they balance that and how game developers need to really consider that fact of player fatigue and just getting bored um just because you can yeah, that makes sense. It reminds me of a little bit of uh, titles like uh, Link to the Past or Ocarina of Time, some of the older Zelda titles. Right. Uh, and it's something that they have in a lot of other games where you can use things like the Ocarina or in Link to the Past, the uh, the flute that calls the bird to mm-hmm. kind of do that fast travel, which I guess is kind of akin to that portaling method you talked about, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I mean, obviously Nintendo, they're very akin to very fantasy, spiritualized types of experiences, very ethereal mm-hmm. Uh, ethereal, I should say, um, to where, you know, you can explain everything away usually by magic. So, yeah, if you want to have a portal all of a sudden open up in the middle of the environment, that will basically transport you to a village or a town so you don't have to necessarily walk for five minutes across this expansive landscape, which technically is a huge achievement. Mm -hmm. But, again, you really have to, as a designer, you really have to go back to what are you trying to get the player to experience? Are you, are you wanting them to track through your environment? Okay, well then create a game around that. But if that's not part of the game and you're just throwing the, the technology uh, in there because you can, it's just something to consider, you know, as designers. That's true. So I guess kind of like how Ocarina of Time had Epona as a method of, you know, getting through the environment if you don't want to just warp there with the Ocarina. 
which was, you know, the aspect of that game was actually walking through and exploring the environment. So I guess yeah, that makes that's a good point that uh, having it be not necessarily a technical constraint, but also a design constraint. Well, if you are going to want to have a player walk through the design, the the huge environment thing, then give them something to do. You know, mm -hmm. uh, maybe maybe have achievements where you can take you know pictures of certain flowers or creatures that you come across mm -hmm. while you're trying to get to point B. Um, you know, there's a lot of different metagames that you could throw in uh, to complement the technology or the availability of what you can do by way of scale. So, it's just a little out-of-the-box thinking, but there's talented hmm. people out there. They'll get it. Yeah, sure. I think that's a good way to put it, right? That out-of-the-box thinking. If you're an indie developer looking at designing a game for uh, the Nintendo Switch, it's going to be so... Uh, uh, constrained comparatively to something on the PS4, the Xbox One, or especially the PS4 Pro or the Scorpio in coming years, um, finding innovative ways to present your game and, and get around some of those constraints. That's a great way to put it, Mark. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, I do want to move us on and keep us moving. Uh, I want to talk about the Joy-Con controllers uh, because they spent a long time talking about the technology that they have packed into those. Uh, mm -hmm. First and foremost, they have um, gyro motion controls. Uh, and, and you can have one in each hand. They do a lot of different things with them. And, and one of the ways they showed that was through um, one of their first games coming out at launch uh, alongside the Nintendo Switch, 1-2 uh, Switch. And it's a game where you don't even have to be facing the TV. You can be facing an opponent. It's very interactive. Um, Sarah, what do you think about these Joy-Con controllers and, and some of the things that they're packing in there? Uh, obviously, I, I think you've spent a lot of time with some motion tracking technology <laughs> recently. Yeah, um, I think that they look really interesting, honestly. I know some people have been complaining about how the uh, how they work individually whenever you kind of turn them to their side and like you just basically use that only that little bar. And uh, I feel like they've overlooked the fact that Nintendo is a kid's company. So that's perfect for a kid's hands, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, these adults sure. are like, these are too small. And it's like, well, yeah, it's kind of not entirely for you. Uh, I, also, I also really like that. I know the HD rumble example that they gave was kind of adorable. The ice cube was a very specific thing that I'm sure a lot of indie devs will be uh, incorporating in their games for some kind of jungle, That was awesome. Like. Yeah. It was adorable. Yeah. That but, was awesome. Uh, what I really like about them, though, is that um, Nintendo knows that they can't compete at the same level that Microsoft and Sony does when it comes to online games. Not only because of the, like, the parental fear of like a kid being online, but also because like they, they see themselves as more of like a toy. So they're like, well, mm -hmm. obviously we're going to create controls that encourage more cooperative, like kind of couch co-op play, which is really mm -hmm. cool. And you've been seeing a lot more of that like in the indie game space anyways. I know my whole holiday was dominated by playing uh, Overcooked, which is this mm. amazing like Love cooperative cooking yep. game. It's so good. But like those kinds <laughs> of things, it's like, those are like, like, and that's what they kept trying to emphasize is that they don't want to have gaming be this isolated experience. They want it to be connected. They want it to be mm -hmm. something that you can bring with you on the go. And I feel like the, the controllers are pretty delightful and they really embody all of those kind of design choices and that, that philosophy that exists in the company as well. So I... I think they look really interesting. I'm excited to try them out. The um, scanning ability to uh, scan the position of hands could be kind of interesting as well. Yeah. Like, I wonder what kind of... I get to see some really interesting games that are made around that as well. So I'm excited to see what the indie community does with all that tech. I think there's a lot there for them, for sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Rockoff, Mark, any thoughts on the Joy-Con controllers? I think the uh, right from the first uh, trailer that they released, uh, like a couple months back, I think they had a big... Um, a lot of the scenes that they showed, you know, the whole portability aspect of was the fact that you could prop it up on the kickstand, take off the controllers and play it at a party, you know, last night they said at an after party at different locations. And I think you're absolutely right, Sarah, in that it being, you know, a family kind of experience that you're meant to play with somebody next to you as opposed to something intended for, you know, the more hardcore online fan base who's looking for the best of the best. I mean, you know, growing up even, you know, with the Xbox and with the PlayStation and with the Nintendo consoles out... Anytime I went to somebody's house or, you know, somebody came over, even if it was like a casual kind of dinner and hangout thing, Nintendo was the one that we'd go for. They just mm -hmm. had those kinds of games, and those experiences have always been designed for, like you said, the couch co-op kind of experience. I could totally see Overcooked being, you know, a title <laughs> on the on the Wii U or on the, uh, on the Switch. So I definitely think that aspect of the Joy-Con is really cool, where you can kind of... I mean, the whole, you know, the whole switching and the whole, you know, snapping of the fingers, cute little kitschy thing they have going on is, of course, <laughs> intended to be something that, hey, you know, take it to the party, take it to, you know, campus, take it to um, your friend's house, whatever it is, and you can play it as though you were bringing a whole TV and console unit with you. I think that part of it's really cool. It's about accessibility. I totally agree with you. It's, yeah, it's nice. It's, it's modular. It's super cool. It's the kind of thing I could imagine, you know, in the context of families and kids is, you know, if you're going with the, you know... Your, uh, your partner and your two kids to the park for a picnic or something, you could just bring the Switch, set it up over there, and have the kids, you know, play with their friends. That's, like, a really cool um, way to bring, I guess, technology out of the, the home, that kind of, like you said, isolated experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I liken it a lot to, uh, you know, kind of what Pokemon Go did. You know, Pokemon Co. got people out of their chair and outside, which was awesome. You know, so it took it took this kind of private experience that games usually have a tendency to be when people are head down, you know, and, and just kind of in an environment and kind of encourage them to get out and find these 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 Pokemon, as it were. And that's the thing I've always loved about Nintendo is I've always found Nintendo games to be very relational in a sense that they're very party driven, they're very social driven, especially nowadays, you know, when we're we're all about texting, we're all about tweeting, and we're all about just these, you know, these individualized kind of solo island experiences. Nintendo just continues to up the game of no, let's let's get together and have conversations and have fun and these short blasts of experience with many people and actually bring the joy back to having game and fun. That's awesome. I do want to counter your point, Mark, with uh, a different piece of news that uh, some accessories have been uh, announced and some price points have been announced since the presentation we saw last night. Um, For example, if you're looking for less of that um, accessible play or that family play or that couch co-op play and looking for something more hardcore, you can get the Pro Controller for $70. Um, and that's the suggested retail price. Um, or you can get additional Joy-Con controllers, uh, two of them for $80 um, for both of them. And then you're also looking at something like Skyrim, which is, was announced officially for the Nintendo Switch. Um, and they didn't say it was the special edition that came out on the PS4 or the Xbox One, um, but they didn't say that it was the one from 2011 either. So we're looking at probably something that is unique to the Nintendo Switch, but it's still kind of this single-player, long, lengthy, uh, more hardcore experience. What does what does something like that look like on this platform? I mean, if indie developers are looking to create their, you know, 80-hour, 100-hour uh, masterwork opus on the Nintendo Switch, what are some of the things they're going to have to consider in terms of uh, consumer and player, in terms of technology? Um, what, do you, what do you guys I think? think- I think the big thing really comes back down, and I mentioned this before, is player fatigue. But I mean, not mentally at this point. I'm talking about physical fatigue, especially if you've got a game that has a very deep, long experience to where you're having to do a lot of um, movement uh, with the controllers, like fighting or punching or whatever. Um, You know, uh, not a lot of players are very athletic (laughs) and have have a lot of stamina for a lot of movement. They have a stamina to sit their ass in a chair and play for hours. Those are hardcore. I love that. But, you know, because you have these the switch and because you have these these controllers that encourage game design built with the, you know, these accelerometers and movement, uh, you know, at hand, you just have to make sure that if you are going to provide those lengthy experiences that you you limit to very brief uh, sprint pockets of time that require a lot of, of motion for the player and then give them a nice uh, respite to relax before engaging again. I mean, it's kind of a similar situation as when the Wii first came out, right? Where they were, mm-hmm. I guess people were expressing similar concerns where, oh, you know, if people are playing boxing all day or something, they're going to get exhausted and people aren't built for things like this. But, I mean, a lot of games that were using that technology with the, you know, the motion tracking um, and gyroscopic feature of the Wii, a lot of those games weren't intended to be kind of somebody getting up and doing something, but rather just the motion of the, the controller making other things happen. So I know I was watching a playthrough of a, um, I think it was called like Marble Mania or something, where mm-hmm. it's one of, like one of those uh, box puzzles where you have to drop the marble through multiple stages, and you can you know, tilt the remote to, um, to make the, the, the stage move, which in turn moves the marbles. So I think it, again, becomes a design question of, you're, you're absolutely right, where you can have games like the, the one they announced yesterday, what was called ARMS, right? The boxing one. Yeah, um, that's really are, cool. <laughs> yeah, it looked really cool, where it is intended to be like a very quick, you know, get up, uh, do some, you know, actually duke it out with your friend, uh, physically engaging experience, you can have those kinds of titles. But I'm also interested to see, you know, where Nintendo and other third-party developers go in terms of using that portability aspect and the kind of, again, kind of going back to the Wii, the two controllers aspect of, um, or the handheld controller with the gyroscope and everything aspect of smart design that uses that, those features without being exa- necessarily a physically tiring experience, if that makes sense. 
No, it, it absolutely does. And there's nothing wrong with making these physically intensive games. I mean, mm -hmm. DDR, Dance Dance Revolution, Dance Central, they did huge. They were great. They're fun. I sweated. I lost weight. It was great. <laughs> um, but at the same time, they were very short experiences, like you're saying with a fighting game. You know, it's a round or a challenge that's two minutes or three minutes long. And then you sit down and let your friend get up and you laugh at them while they're doing it as well. And mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, those are fun experiences. And, and hear my heart, I'm not trying to take anything away from them just as long as you keep them in short sprints they're wonderful mm -hmm. yeah i get where you're coming from i guess i guess uh we're just hoping that they, so what you're saying basically is as long as they don't come out with a zelda title that requires you to be up and swinging the sword with the controller it's not going to be as draining because for that you know where you have to sit down and kind of explore the world and engage in a lot of combat that might get tiring after some well time. can you imagine saying? link getting on the back of a horse and you have to have two of these remotes and you have to actually bounce them up and down in order to make the <laughs> horse go faster or slower or whatever that would be fine for like two minutes or three minutes but after that you know they're gonna have to you know sit down and have a drink of water um mm -hmm. it's just so when you're when you're designing those are just things to to think about you always go back to the player and yeah definitely you know, agree I, and I also I want to make one comment. I think Sarah, maybe you can comment on this as well. But uh, when I when I first tried out the HTC Vive, I tried out a mm -hmm. title called um, I think it's called Longbow Tower Defense. It's part of the the Valve um, the, lab. the lab, whatever it's yeah. called. Yeah. And for the first, like you said, uh, Mark, the first two minutes or so it was awesome. I was up, I was spinning around, you know, pulling back the arrow. I could feel the weight of the bow in my hands and stuff. Mm -hmm. It was great. And, you know, I mean, luckily I happened to be pretty good at the game. And after, like, 15 or 16 rounds, I was sitting there, like, you know, low effort, just pulling my arms, you know, near my waist, trying to, you know, swing the <laughs> like, pull, cock the bow and uh, shoot the arrows without that much effort. Yeah, uh, you're, trying to, to, I mean, you're trying to metagame the controller now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're trying to figure out, like, I mean, Sarah, do you have any, like, does anything come up um, like that in VR design as well, yes. where you're trying to not exhaust the player? Yeah, because um, I know, so a huge advantage of, like, something like touch controls for Oculus or for the Vive controls is the ability to track the player's hand position. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of people, I think they're going to have to learn that it won't be as much about the speed at which you move your hand, but the distance that you're moving it. Because you can do like mm. a long, large sword swing if you want to. And as long as you're not doing it quickly, you probably won't have the same uh, amount of fatigue as if you do a bunch of short, fast kind of sword swings or something like that. Mm -hmm. So you see that in other games. So there's some other games that explore like melee com combat. You have raw data is a really good example of that too. And it's going to be about pacing. You need that moment where the player's exploring things, they're looking at things, and then they're also engaging in combat. But yeah, people are going to try to game the system for sure. <laughs> Part of me is like, let them be tired because it's a fight. So get tired, you know, mm -hmm. like maybe you need, <laughs> I think it ends up being a helpful thing to teach them in combat because, you know, uh, you can obviously kill of the, your player in traditional games, but maybe in VR games it'll be, and then we make you tired, so you probably didn't play it right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Something along those lines. But yeah, it's a fun, it's a fun kind of design challenge because I don't mind if my player is like testing out a prototype I'm playing and they're like panting, and they're like that was exhausting, but I felt like that was real combat because I'm like that's what I want, you know. But I'm sure Nintendo that probably isn't their intention. They always uh, had those warnings on their Wii uh, remotes, like please don't throw this through your, you know television screen mm -hmm. or anything like that at high speeds it could be dangerous but yeah i think they'll have to figure out how to strike a balance but i think it'll be good i'm excited to to see what kinds of things people make with the uh, with that degree of of control so definitely I, I was looking at arms the, the just real quick mark i was looking at the announcement of arms yesterday and that my first thought was uh, wow that could be a really cool esport i could see that being something that fighting game players would enjoy and then after hearing what you just said sarah i'm imagining you know a, the next generation of esports players all built like channing tatum and i think that will be a sight to see <laughs> <laughs> that'd be good maybe more people will be interested in it then you know yeah bring the female yes. party that's right the esports yeah, that's really <laughs> sorry mark what were you saying i didn't mean to cut you off I don't even remember. I just got so enthralled with your guys' conversation. And it was really, what's what's most uh, fascinating for me is you guys are throwing out all these game titles and you're like, yeah, yeah, that was so fun. That was so great and everything. I'm like, I have no clue what oh, you guys man. are talking about. I'm I'm literally, I'm writing notes on my keyboard. It's like, okay, she said this game title. This game. So I'll I've, send you a list, Mark. I've got so many games, like VR games I've played at this point. There's a lot of really good ones out there too. They're that would be some... killer. I'd appreciate yeah. that, really. Oh yeah, totally. I would love to get in on that. I have, uh, I have on my, uh, my tax refund shopping list, number two, is the the vibe number one is nice. the switch very nice no that's good yeah like i said there's so much cool stuff going on even just like demos and prototypes and mm -hmm. stuff like people are just i mean fantastic contraption is always the go-to sorry i turned this into a vr discussion we'll, i'll get us no. back on track but fantastic contraption is another good example of using the space uh, one of the co-creators sarah northway talked a lot about that and it was really interesting hearing her talk about like make your players stretch out their arms it's really cool and i'm like yeah i totally am on board with that so <laughs> <laughs>
Definitely. This is what happens when you get people into a room. They start bonding. They start connecting. I, I feel friendships <laughs> forming here. Aww. That's great. Excellent. Thank well, you, I, Logan. You made I, this happen. Yes. The <laughs> well, matchmaker. I, the magic of Indian Insider. Right. Well, I do want to keep us moving along. There are a couple other things I want to hit on pretty hard. Um, perhaps uh, next on the list, we should talk about online services. That was a big thing they talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's two sides to this, I suppose. Uh, First off, online services, they will have a free trial period uh, before going fully paid in fall of 2017. Now, this is a big shift for them. They've had free online multiplayer uh, as long as Nintendo has, well, been online. Uh, Do you guys see this as being a problem, or is this them finally catching up to uh, PlayStation and Microsoft? Mark, what do you think? Um, well, at the end of the day, we really have to just remember that even though it's it's a creative industry, it is a business, you know, mm-hmm. and obviously just just gaming has arrived. It really has. It's just, you know, you guys, I'm sure have seen the statistics. They're stupefying about how many gamers there are in, in every household and how much an average player, you know, spends weekly playing games and whatever. So, I mean, there's a, there's a huge market out there. Obviously Nintendo's in the business of entertainment, but they're in the business of being in business. Um, you know, and so of course, if there's a way to make a buck, they're going to, they're going to explore that. Um, I, I don't really know. I, I, I don't know necessarily their reasoning for it. Um, maybe it's just, maybe just from a cost standpoint, Mm-hmm. Um, they need to, um, just by all the things that they've been offering or researching or what have you. Um, I don't know. I really don't, I really don't have an, an opinion on something like that. Cause I, I don't play a lot of online, um, type of, uh, type of experiences or games. So I, I really don't be, if be fair to me, it wouldn't be fair to me to, to kind of render an opinion. Um, I guess at this point, I, you know, I just say, I don't, I don't really care. <laughs> you know, I, I don't care. You know, I mean, people are going to, people are going to pay for the experience if they want it. If they don't, then that's fine. That's their, that's their freaking choice. Um, so I, you know, I think that there's value in kind of putting your money where your mouth is. Um, I think it probably even adds to the experience a little bit because it, mm-hmm. it did cost you something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's, it's just a choice. People have a choice. From an indie developer standpoint, what do you think having paid online services is going to do? Are we going to see more uh, game spending time online? Uh, are we going to see less? Uh, Raghav, what do you think? Blackshell Media spends a lot of time in that online space. Yeah, I don't think it's going to have any impact on indie developers, to be honest. Um, I think the, I mean, the, the technical limitations of doing online multiplayer, and I'm sure, you know, I don't come from as much of a technical background, but I'm sure Sarah and Mark could comment on this as well. I think the technical limitations alone are the biggest reason we haven't seen online take off as much for indies. Um, I think any developer knows that if they have a very successful game that has a good, you know, core combat loop or core gameplay loop that works well with online, you know, like if... Um, I don't know, I'm blanking here on any indie titles, but, you know, if your core gameplay loop is so good, like CSGO, for example, you know that you need online to succeed and really blow up and you have eSport potential, I think indie developers are going to, you know, be investing the time and money to make it online. I don't think that, you know, assuming that Nintendo does give royalties from online uh, server subscription to the games that are being played online, I don't think that's going to be enough of an impetus for people to get online. And if it is, then the developers that implement that, chances are, if they're only going at after it because of the money incentive of you know people who are uh, paying for online, them getting a share of that, I don't think those games are going to be um, of high enough quality to warrant being online. I feel like I said the word online several times, but basically, <laughs> the games that are... <laughs> I kind of got lost... Topic, halfway, man. That's good. I, <laughs> I kind of got lost halfway through my own train of thought, so I apologize <laughs> if that makes no sense, but basically... We'll just hashtag it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but basically, um, what I'm trying to say is that it's not going to make as much of a difference for indie developers who were kind of on the fence about it. The indies that were going to be online are going to continue to be online, and they're the ones that are really going to find success. Right. Um, one thing I would like to just comment on, I think one of the motivations behind paid online is, you know, one thing, as Mark mentioned, is that you have a market demand for people who want online multiplayer, and that happens to coincide with people who are playing on Xbox and PlayStation who are willing to pay online. Um, if you have demand and willingness to pay, and it's very easy for you to supply that product for a paid cost, obviously, you know, it makes sense from a business standpoint. But I think one thing, and I think this was kind of hinted at a lot in the presentation for for the Switch from Tokyo, 
where um, they were when they announced Arms. One of the the before they even announced the game, they said that this is going to be a game. Uh, I'm not quoting it verbatim, but it was something like this is going to be a game that you can casually enjoy and play with friends, but that also has a lot of depth, replayability, and challenge. And then they talked about Arms. And again, my first thought, as you know, was the first thought of many others, was esports. I think opening up the online to making it paid and making that kind of an exclusive experience is Nintendo's way of trying to push that whole, you know, competitive aspect of it harder because I feel like with, you know, games like Splatoon or whatever where it's a very casual, you know, concept and a very casual visual appeal, people that play Nintendo games online, going back to what Sarah said about it being like a family kind of coming together, uh, kitty-friendly concept, um, we're usually using it to play with friends, you know, friends in the same town, friends that moved to another country or a different state, things like that. Whereas now, when it's a paid online experience like Xbox and PlayStation, looking at, you know, the way people play games like Call of Duty, anytime someone plays a game like Call of Duty or Overwatch online, chances are it's to kind of group up and go compete against other people online. And I think this is Nintendo's way of saying, look, mm. we have games with esport potential like ARMS, you know, like Splatoon, where we can have this really competitive atmosphere going on. Let's make people that want to play it online in that competitive space, getting in touch with other people who are also so serious about it that they're willing to pay however much it costs per year to get online. Um, I think that's a really cool way of them entering that paid, you know, uh, more yeah, more competitive, I guess, uh, gameplay experience if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Sarah, you mentioned a lot, uh, yes. and as Rock, I've mentioned, you've mentioned a lot about um, Nintendo being a bit more of a family company mm-hmm. uh, and being more accessible in that regard. Do you think that moving towards esports is a good move for them, or moving I towards think, a more competitive online space? So I think the well, I think there's a couple of reasons why they're charging for online. One, if they want to support it and really support indie developers to do this, they need um, basically people on on Nintendo's side to help indie developers make sure that it's working well on their platform. And that, of course, will require money for Nintendo to support those kinds of services. Mm-hmm. So I could see it from that angle. Um, for the kids space, I think it could largely be because of Minecraft. <laughs> mm. And Nintendo's still kind of catching up to that because that's where kids are when it comes to what they're playing right now. I mean, Microsoft figured that out, which is why they bought it. Uh, but yeah, you even saw it demoed there where they're like, and you can play Minecraft on the Switch. So they're like, oh, okay, so kids are really in the online space now. If we have more of them, we probably need money to support this more. The amount of people we have doing it now doesn't really make sense. Maybe we need to start charging for it. I was also wondering if it was from their learnings that they got for uh, like uh, Pokemon Go. If uh, like having it be free for a period of time and then switching over to paid, I wonder if they're experimenting with that model and then being able to uh, like seeing how it makes sense to apply to their console model as well. But that is another for, thing that they did touch on is yeah. uh, was this mobile app right? That mm-hmm. ties into online services. So you can actually set things yeah. up, connect with friends, do all that through this mobile app. And we've seen them expanding into the mobile space with yes. um, Mario Run and, and uh, Miitomo even and all that. Um, so yeah, sorry, not to interrupt, but just interesting oh, no as well. No, yeah. Um, and even, uh, they, I don't know if you guys are able to see that charming video they did for parental controls with uh, Bowser and one of his many progeny, uh, just like cool. showing how the parental controls will work. It's literally an app. And what you're able to do is enable or disable certain functionalities within a game. They use Splatoon 2 as an example, where the, mm-hmm. a parent can disable the voice chat function to protect their kid. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's if I was a parent, I'd be thrilled. I'd be like, oh, I can control how much time they play. I can put up warnings about it. I can ex- extend the amount of time. I can see what they're playing and what they're spending time on. And I can disable or enable certain features that I might be worried about. That's great. Yeah, so. Absolutely. And I guess having it be behind, having the online services be behind like a, a paywall, so to speak, also protects kids, I guess, mm-hmm. right? From hopping on randomly and, you know, joining some match and getting mm-hmm. flamed by some dude, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the esports world, I do, I play a lot of League of Legends. The esports world is, you know, not a very kind place very often, you know? Like sometimes a little toxic, but, you know. Well, it's, salty. It's, it's, the, it's the anonymity that comes with being behind the fourth wall. Yeah. No question about it. I think it's that in combination with the amount of investment it takes for an eSport. You get really mad when somebody else is messing up because you're like, I spent so much time mastering this. Like, how could uh-huh. you possibly ruin my day? Now I will yell at you. you know, that <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I want to go over some of the games that we know are coming to this. Um, obviously, we heard about some of the big ones, right? And those are the ones we heard in the presentation. That's mm-hmm. Super Mario Odyssey. Um, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe was announced after the presentation. Uh, we heard about uh, even some more third-party things. Uh, Skyrim, uh, EA Sports FIFA is coming. So, I mean, we see these big, uh, more AAA titles coming. Uh, but some of the indies that we know are arriving as well. Arcade Archives is coming. Um, the Binding of Isaac Afterbirth is officially coming awesome. sometime in the spring. That's going to be great. Um, I'm skipping around just a little bit. Farming Simulator was announced 
overnight. So I uh, thought I caught a glimpse of that when they were showing the demo reel, and I was like, "Is that farming sim?" And then it just moved on to the next thing right away. Yeah, <laughs> they definitely uh, shotgunned out a lot of stuff at the end of that presentation. Oh, yeah. a, lot, so, a lot of teases. Yeah, um, I don't know. I was through the presentation. Uh, God, when that one uh, presenter came up, and he was he was that pimp Japanese guy that had like the gold chain, and he was just all totally decked out. Do you guys know? Do you remember who that was? Uh, what was he talking about? Do you remember? I don't remember was because I was. Was he in a lab coat? No, he wasn't oh. in a lab coat. He Dang. was like dressed to the nines, like going out on the town and getting his gigolo on. I mean, it was just <laughs> hilarious. Did, did we watch the same presentation? <laughs> no, we weren't. He was he was there for just a blip. But I mean, I was I was um, doing a Facebook live because I was just I was doing some uh, digital painting and watching it at the same time. And I just remember I was laughing out loud, and people are like, "Holy crap, who's that guy?" Because I had my phone sharing my screen as well so people were watching with me um and they're like dude that guy is so fly check him out who is he you know but yeah and then for like the next 10 minutes i lost all you know whatever information they were saying because i was just cracking up at this dude it's just just like he was he was so out of place um but anyways like like this conversation right now so there it is (laughs) no that's okay that's all right uh but just yeah a a lot of kind of just random games um blaze blue is coming a lot of the japanese ones that we heard about uh last night um a new game from shinin which is actually known as a nindy game a nindy game company rather um making indie games specifically for nintendo consoles um has been heroes was a big one that was announced last night frozen bite um developers behind that uh, is there a Minecraft. Shovel Knight edition that'll be on there? Uh, well? Yes, that was also yeah. announced. Uh, mm-hmm. Shovel Knight. Um, that was announced, I think, a day before yeah. the the uh, presentation as well. So, uh, not to go off too long, but there are definitely a lot of games, uh, more games than I think we've seen towards the front life of a Nintendo console uh, as of late. Uh, well, particularly with the, the Wii U. Um, oh, Ukulele, Team 17 as well. It's going to be great. <laughs> oh, nice. So, uh, what do you guys think? Is Nintendo Switch going to turn the tides a little bit? Are we going to see more indies? Are we going to see more third-party games? Um, I guess we'll start with Sarah, but I want to talk to all of you about this. What do you think, Sarah? I mean, I really hope so. I, I know, like, they never really, you know, were able to catch up with the Wii U, although there were a couple of good indie releases that I saw there. Uh, I know uh, I was super excited to see a game like Severed end up on the Wii U, and it was amazing to play. Really, really good game. So I'm hoping that, you know, they're investing more in that they've learned from their past a bit and are understanding how important this will be and how vital this is to kind of the future of them as a company. Um, They have really good IP. They know that. They can always rely on that. But Uh because of how limited their offerings have been in the past, they've kind of always been in a bad spot. So I'm glad that they're finally catching up. I'm glad they saved Breath of the Wild. It looked amazing. I'm very excited Uh about that game, too. So, yeah, I'm hoping this will... Because I want Nintendo to stick around. They're great. They're a really good voice in the gaming community. They don't take themselves too seriously. They want things that are accessible. And, like, everybody else has gone, like, super hardcore. And Nintendo's like, whatever. We're just going to make something that's kind of cool. You might laugh at it. And I love that. (laughs) It's really cool. So... Yeah, I hope it it succeeds. I really do. Raghav, what do you think? Is Nintendo Switch going to be a console for the indies and the third-party developers? Uh, Again, like Sarah said, I hope so. I emailed one of the uh, Nintendo uh, third-party development uh, contacts that I had, and I asked, you know, are we going to see some, like, as an indie, you know, can I grab some uh, some hardware? Can I get some SDKs or anything? And they said that information will be published on the site soon. So they haven't, I I think, you know, all the indie um, titles that have been announced so far and all the third-party titles have been kind of them again, going through and hand curating the ones that they want on there at first, mm-hmm. which of course makes sense. That's pretty expected for any platform like this. Um, but I guess, you know, we'll see once the console launches or even before then, if they open it up to the more general, you know, indie, uh, indie developer crowd. The one big thing for, um, that I know is shared between, uh, PlayStation and, uh, Nintendo sometimes is just the cost of development hardware and the kind of, you know, again, technical, uh, capabilities required to bring a game to the console. That's again one thing that I'd love to wait and see. You know how the documentation is, how the accessible, uh, the accessibility of the hardware, the price point of the dev kits and the debuggers and everything. But uh, you know, assuming all that works out, I think it could be something interesting that people turn to. Um, you see a lot of indie developers working in the more hardcore kind of PC and console gaming space. You know, a lot of roguelikes, a lot of dungeon crawling games, a lot of mm-hmm. more you know intense experiences. The kind of stuff that Devolver loves. Uh, you know, that's their bread and butter. So I I don't know how well that translates to the demographic of the Nintendo consoles. You know, even with the Wii U and other uh, DS titles and such, you never really saw those kinds of games. 
I mean, it was rare. There were few and far in between um, that actually, you know, really took off on there because, again, the demographics didn't line up. But I'd love to see, you know, what they do, especially if they're opening up the whole esports aspect and, like we talked about earlier, introducing the paid online as a way to generate additional revenue. I'd love to see kind of what, you know, bigger producers and publishers do with that. There's definitely a lot to watch for. Yeah, you're right. Mark, what do you think? Is Nintendo Switch the console? Is it going to be the one for the indies and the third parties? Boy, you know what? I even hate to venture a guest. Um, a guest, <laughs> I should say. Uh, you know, I feel like I'm put on the spot here. Um, to be quite honest, it really just comes down to, you know, again, the dev kits, the tools, the support, the forums. Um, you know, just how many people, what the community, you know, and how much effort and um, support that they're going to offer because that's you know that's what makes it accessible you know mm -hmm. and that term's been thrown around quite a bit um you know i would love to be able to make a game for this console i think it offers a lot of variety i think it'd be very challenging to uh, make a multiplayer game where one person only has kind of you know a single um, hand joypad you know joystick kind of a thing um, and figuring out those controls and and, and whatnot but Really, it just comes down to what kind of support am I going to get from the developer? What kind of community is going to be out there? How um, how helpful are they? And uh, that's really what comes down to, to game development, is reaching out to communities and asking for help, getting feedback, um, as well as the tools, the availability, what have you. So, you know, I'd, I hate to just kind of default, but I, I really don't know. Um, I love the fact, you know, I'm always about choice. I just love the fact that there's another choice, um, uh -huh. you know, and I think Nintendo's given, given us that and they've created again, another type of platform that appeals to a certain demographic, which is fantastic. And like I said, they're unapologetic about it. I don't think they're necessarily trying to be the console for everybody. Um, uh -huh. but what they do offer is really, really strong. And I think it's going to get a lot of people excited. And whether it's easy or not, people are going to develop because it's just it's just fun. Not necessarily the console for everybody, but definitely the console for everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I think All you right. need to trademark that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I'll call somebody. All right, well, this is, of course, the Indie Insider Podcast, and I do end every episode with my guests sharing one piece of advice. So what I'd like to do, Sarah, Rakov, and Mark, uh, and we'll go in that order, I'm just going to ask you to share a piece of advice uh, something pertaining to the Nintendo Switch, so whether that's to consumers, whether that's to the indie developers getting excited about developing for the software, uh, pull something out and and just share something with the listening audience. Um, Sarah, whenever you're ready, okay. share something. With uh, I think for indie developers, uh, especially for like because of the relationship that they might have with Nintendo, don't take yourself or your games too seriously. You know, like uh, I think having a sense of humor is a really big part of a lot of what Nintendo does. And that's why everybody's like, oh, it comes off as so weird. But it, it's so sincere and just not caring about, you know, being serious or being like this dark kind of grim, uh, you know, platform or company. And I really like that. So, you know, maybe apply those kinds of things. Do something that's light, something kind of fun. The world could use stuff like that. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean, Sarah. Thank you so much. Raghav, <laughs> what do you think? Uh, I'll speak a little more to the consumers, I guess. Consumers who are excited about uh, the Switch, you know, stay excited. Definitely stay thirsty for information and see how things play out but don't feel pressure to buy it you know right at the start i know a lot of people buy things early on because it seems like the cool thing to be an early adopter i think it's worse to be an early adopter that later becomes vocal about how much they hate early adopting and how much you know they didn't like it at the beginning so if you think you might not be completely sure or you're, or you're on the fence about it uh wait see how it turns out try it out at a GameStop or something when they get there and uh don't you know put the hate out towards Nintendo so vocally right at the beginning. It hurts them and it hurts, it hurts everybody, Aww. I think, more than it benefits no anybody. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm so if you're allowed to dislike it, but I mean, don't like buy it on day one, you know, when there might still be some issues in the software that they're working out and things like that and expect it to all be, you know, peachy keen or don't like, no, don't go in without having done your research and then be disappointed about what you get. That's mm -hmm. all I'm saying. Just have mm -hmm. expectations and, you know, <laughs> make sure you keep those in mind. Sure. We'll stay understanding. Right. I'm good. Yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely. Mark. What can you share with the listening audience? I got nothing. I got absolutely <laughs> nothing. No, I think the thing that I would share most is, uh, I think we've addressed it a couple of times, is just to 
continue to take the player in mind in your design, in your developments, understand what you want them to experience, what, they, what you want them to feel. Um, as Sarah mentioned, if you want them to feel fatigue, fine, design the crap out of it and make them tired. Um, you know, but I would always just kind of look at your designs with the player in mind and ask yourself, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. All right, and so that would be kind of my, my last piece of advice. That's a solid piece of advice, and I think I, I feel comfortable ending there. It feels good. Right. So, uh, everybody, this has been Indie Insider, episode number 18. We've been chatting about the Nintendo Switch. Uh, the presentation went up just yesterday. Uh, it'll be last week by the time the listeners are hearing all of this, but it has just been a pleasure to have Sarah Dukakos, Rakov Mather, and Mark Soderwall on the show. Um, uh, of course, this podcast is presented by Blackshell Media, uh, a publishing and marketing firm out there to help produce great games and connect developers with their audiences. Um, Rakov can speak more to it than I can, but I guarantee he's going to be on the show again very soon. So we will have you on your own, your very own episode. Yay. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a long time coming. So, uh, of course, if you want to be part of the show, if you have thoughts about the Nintendo switch, if you want to shoot questions to these guys, we'll pass it along. Shoot me an email, Logan at blackshellmedia.com. Dot com. Uh, of course, follow us on Twitter. You can follow at Blackshell Media. You can follow uh, myself at Logan A. Schultz. Um, and guys, if people want to follow you, they really liked your thoughts, they want to know what projects you're working on, how do they find you out on those interwebs, Sarah? Oh, man. I'm so bad at Twitter. Like, I've, uh, I have a Twitter <laughs> handle that I kept because it rhymes with my name, the Sarah Chimera. I was like, yeah, that's mine now. And then I just have it. I just I don't, I don't tweet anything. But if you want to follow me, Feel free to follow me. I'll say hi. Maybe. <laughs> I might not check it. Maybe. I'm sorry. I, love <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, I'm just trying to be real, you know? Uh, but yeah, I mostly I'm like, I'm just in the void of reality. And then like, I just come on the internet every once in a while. And then, but yeah, go ahead and go ahead and follow me on Twitter. That'd be fun. Sure. <laughs> Rockoff, how do people follow you if they want to follow your projects? Well, you can, of course, connect with Blackshell Media. I'm pretty, you know, prominent in, uh, any Blackshell Media posts because, you know, I'm the one that runs the damn thing, but uh, you can follow Blackshell Media. Um, you can also follow me personally. I'm at Zinasha. That's X-I-N-A-S-H-A. That should be on Twitter. Um, and yeah, thanks so much, uh, Logan, for having me. And thanks, Sarah and Mark. It was great talking to you guys. You too. Yeah, it was very fun. Absolutely. And Mark, if people want to follow you, how do they find you? Uh, they need to go to at IndieGameU and, uh, or at IndieGameU.com. I'm on Instagram, always posting uh, stories. I've been doing a number of Instagram lives. Uh, I'm on Snapchat, at IndieGameU, Twitter. Um, yeah, I love social media. I love engaging with the community. Uh, we've got a crazy, awesome, killer community uh, in our Instagram channel, at IndieGameU. So, yeah, follow me there and engage. And uh, let's lock arms and uh, just make magic happen, all right? We will make magic happen. Guys, Thank you all again so much for coming on the show. This has been just fantastic. You are all brilliant. So thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, you're very nice, Logan. Yeah, thank you so much, much for organizing this. <laughs> Absolutely. This has been the Indie Insider Podcast. We will see you next week. <laughs>